0: Abibi Fajodié, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast, media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swooley. Let's get to it. Abibi Fahodie, this is the African Liberation Media. I'm here with Brothers Amos and Brother. McAroo, I want to talk about Joe Biden and what we might describe as the inauthentic opposition. The question remains, will Joe Biden destroy himself? This is a man who is in clear decline. And in discussing Joe Biden, we definitely welcome your rebuttal, comments, or concerns. Of course, I was attacked the other day for criticizing him at one of the voting Sites. Uh, this is a man that said that Margaret Th- Thatcher was alive. The Chinese official by the name of Ding, Biden claims to have been in, negotiating, in negotiations with him over in Paris regarding climate change. We know that Ding had been dead <laughs> since 1997. This is a man that is confused as to whether he's in New Hampshire. Of Vermont. I'm not trying to discourage anyone from voting, but recognize what you're dealing with. And I understand that uh, from one of the co workers, he said that he was the only candidate that could defeat Ronald Reagan. The problem I'm having with the Democratic Party, you know, I'm not here to endorse Herr Feuer, Kahn the, the short fingered vulgarian, or the orange brutus, whatever names you want to have for Trump many he deserves. We're not here to defend uh, Trump, but I just want you to consider the reality of the Democratic Party. They have no policy arguments. It's always about Russia, cronyism, sexism. They promise incremental change at best during a time of populist fervor. This is a man, Biden, that's on record as having capitulated to this gentleman from Kentucky that's referred to as the turtle, Mitch McConnell, and who also refers to the Republican Party, the Thuglicans, as his friends. Suffice it to say, given his record of union busting in trade deals, you have to ask yourself, Can things get worse under Joe Biden? I would emphatically say yes. You know, if he has a scintilla of chance of becoming the president of the United States, I personally do not think he does, you know, given his propensity for gas. So, what does he bring to the White House versus a Trump? He offers civility, he won't be grabbing the private parts of a woman, so to speak. What remains and what we have to take in consideration is this, for this Biden or Trump, the continuation of the disconnect between majority opinion and policy and no alteration as it relates to certain issues such as the system of neo-slavery. This is the African liberation media here with Brothers Amos and Brothers Makaroo, Bibi Fahodie, we solicit and welcome your response. This is Gullah Jack.
1: Abibi Fahodie, African Liberation Media Family. Another day to give us a, a chance to explore some ideas and concepts from the perspective of the liberation and empowerment of African people. You know, the interesting thing about this uh, duopoly campaign is that uh, that black voters in the Deep South breathed life into a corpse. Uh, this guy was politically dead. And a single politician in South Carolina, James Clyburn, endorsed him in that created a tidal wave apparently of black support assuming that the election process wasn't rigged a tidal wave of black support across across the whole confederacy from virginia to north carolina tennessee arkansas and even 58% of the black vote in texas you know what is it what is it about about our community that allows us to be led like sheep to slaughter or to be so paralyzed by the so-called fear of the of the greater evil it's it's quite amazing uh, more importantly for me an event took place this week that um, that raises a lot of issues i mean I, I think in a country dominated by white supremacy we could never expect the death penalty to be applied with any degree of justice and therefore I think it should be outlawed now I got to admit when I see these 5 and 6 year old black girls being slaughtered by demons that their mothers are dating and their their bodies are being dumped in the uh in the trash cans and 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 other places when I think somebody like that should be immediately taken off the planet I mean that's just that's just the way I feel, but but the fact of the matter is that you may get a, one situation like that, and then how many others like Nathaniel Woods, Walter MacMillan would have been executed had it not been for the intervention of Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice uh, Initiative. Uh, so. I just feel that it should be outlawed. I mean, if you're not, if, if, if it's not going to be applied and it's not going to be within the context of white supremacy. And let me just give you an example in Alabama, a white man, Thomas Blanton can kill four black girls, Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, Carl Robertson, Cynthia Wesley, and become eligible for, for parole for the second time. He came up for the first time in 2016. He'd be eligible for parole again in 2020, Blanton was not even convicted for his 1963 crime, a massacre, at the uh, 16th Street Baptist Church, until 2001, 38 years after the massacre, the bombing, which uh, injured, which killed the four young ladies and then injured several others, including uh, Adam a. Collins' younger sister, Sarah Collins Rudolph, who lost her eye in the bombing. So this is Thomas Blanton. They, the the uh, jury sentenced him uh, to life with a chance for parole in, uh, in 2001. Judge could have overruled that because they allowed that in Alabama, but they didn't. A black man, Nathaniel Woods, can be convicted by a jury in a 10 to 2 vote. In Alabama, you don't have to have a unanimous vote in order to uh, get a conviction. And the actual killer can say that you did not participate when he killed three police officers and you can still be sentenced to death and executed on March the 5th, 2020 in the same prison where Thomas Blanton is incarcerated. So, so in this particular case, the jury voted 10 to two to give Nathaniel Woods life without parole. Alabama allows judges to overrule a jury, so the judge applied the death penalty to uh, to Nathaniel Woods, who uh, actually didn't didn't fire any shots. And uh, when, when when we look at what actually happened, uh, it, it, it it was a total miscarriage uh, of justice. Uh, uh, Clarence Thomas, uh, they appealed. They did a last minute appeal to the Supreme Court. Clarence Thomas in, uh, issued a temporary stay then the court decided that they wouldn't review the case and uh, so it then fell on Alabama's uh, white supremacist governor Ivy and of course she said that he was convicted by a jury of his peers, which we know what are the odds of that happening in Alabama and uh, so 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 the brother the brother was executed. Um, so this is what the Equal uh, Justice Institute had to say. Even though his lawyer did not adequate, adequately investigate and present mitigating evidence, Mr. Wood's jury still could not reach a unanimous death penalty verdict. The 10-2 to 2 vote in the case raises important questions about the propriety of his sentence and whether his execution would be appropriate. Now, they, this was before he was executed. The U.S. Supreme Court is currently considering a case, Ramos versus Louisiana, The questions whether non-unanimous verdicts in criminal cases are unconstitutional. Mr. Woods was denied his constitutional rights when his appellate lawyer, appointed by the state, abandoned him in the middle of the case, and failed to file a a brief on his behalf, preventing the Alabama Supreme Court from even reviewing the case. So once again, here you have a guy that can't afford a a dream team of lawyers like O.J. Simpson and a lot of these other people, and he winds up with somebody that was appointed by the state who was obviously thoroughly incompetent and didn't give a flying flip about this man. At the time, Mr. Woods was on death row, had no access to his case docket, and did not learn that his appointed lawyer had abandoned him until months after the deadline to file had passed. When new counsel asked the Alabama Supreme Court and later the U.S. Supreme Court to provide Mr. Woods an opportunity to file a brief with a competent lawyer, both courts refused. As a result, the serious questions, as a result, the serious questions about his culpability and the propriety of his sentence have never been adequately reviewed in either state or federal court. So basically, this is the way the system works. I mean, as uh, my daughter always says, what are the odds of getting through the entire system without white supremacy having some type of impact? And th- this, this is a clear cut example but the thing of it is, is that when I when I first heard about this case, the, my first question was, and I didn't hear about it when it happened in uh, in two thousand four, but as I began to read about it uh, this week, my question was, how could this uh, the killer, uh, a guy by the name of Spencer, how could he kill three police officers and wound a and wound a fourth? And so, so we have put up on our page. Uh, uh, Spencer, uh, the guy who actually did the killing, Kerry Spencer, he actually did the killing and he put out, he sent a letter out saying that, you know, you would be executing an innocent man because he had absolutely, uh, you know, he, he was not involved. He said, Spencer says I killed the people, but they haven't, they haven't set a date for his, uh, his execution. But when, but when I heard about the case, I really thought about the case of Larry Davis up in Brooklyn, uh, back in what was it, the 1980s and 1990s, police officers—I think six police officers, or no, was about 20 police officers—attempted to arrest him. He wound up shooting six of them, and wound up being exonerated on the grounds of self-defense. Now, you know, when you when you read through uh, Spencer's appeal, I, I mean, it, it it appears clearly that that they probably, uh, you know, he the police broke up in the house. You know, he may have fired in self-defense because, first of all, they were selling drugs out of the house. But they both both of them admit that they they were selling drugs. So, I mean, you know, you, what, what what winds up happening is you get uh, you know you get convicted based on any kind of circumstantial evidence or in, anything in, the, in in the court of public opinion. But uh, they had apparently had a long running conversation with this one police officer, who was one of the officers who was killed. And, you know, the result was that uh, they broke in into the house. Uh, apparently, they had found a warrant on Woods. He tried to flee into the house. Three officers entered the house. They, had, they were able to uh, apprehend him. Apparently, they maced him. He was begging them not to mace. He told them, I give up. And then the shots rang out. Uh, the, uh, Spencer had bought a uh sk9 apparently a few days before that and you know he just unloaded on these guys um so he admits to his guilt apparently he's he's comfortable willing to you know go to the chambers or go to uh you know go to death based on what he did but the case of this this young man of uh this nathaniel woods who didn't commit a crime he simply had. He simply was there when the shooting occurred, and now he has been killed. But this is the way white supremacy works in the United States, and it's the reason why I have to oppose the death penalty because under white supremacy, it will never be applied fairly. Even though personally, I would be willing under under the Proper guidance to some of these guys that are killing these children—they—they—they—they they, they, they need to be taken out, <laughs> but not by the state.
0: State-sponsored murder, indeed. The brother's crime was being guilty of being alive. If it can happen to Woods, it can happen to any of us.
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's almost the same as people who are not at the scene of a crime but then spend the rest of their life in prison for a crime that they didn't commit. You know, you have these situations where when the Europeans own and operate the justice system from the top to the bottom. Yeah, there's a few black contributors here or there, you know, some black bailiffs or some black judges and lawyers but ultimately, the laws are created in the favor of the majority. And when you are the minority in a system that favors the majority, then you always will be at a disadvantage. And people look at you differently. They don't see you as someone who is the same in regards to the eyes of the law.
1: Yeah, you know, the thing is that, you know, they— three white police officers were killed three white police officers were killed so the lives of these white police officers were clearly more valuable than the than the lives of the four young ladies who were bombed massacred in the 16th Street Baptist Church i mean so, i mean here you you can't get a clearer contradiction of justice or injustice in this society than than, than this particular case this man Thomas Blanton was one of, one of the Klansmen. The, the other two that they eventually convicted, Dynamite Bob Chambliss and can't remember another guy's name now, uh, were all you know uh, convicted years later. Blanton, this 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 man committed you know a quadruple homicide against children. Now, if you're not going to apply the death penalty to him then you can't apply the death penalty to anybody you can't and the thing of it is is that even in the case if you, if you read if you read the case of spencer the jury couldn't agree to unanimously convict him the shooter they had they 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 had a unanimous decision but but they couldn't you know we got all the details of the case here, you know, on our on our page, but the jury couldn't even be, couldn't reach a, a unanimous decision to convict uh, Cary Spencer and give him the death penalty. The jury recommended for Cary Spencer life without parole, but Alabama allows judges to overrule the jury, and the judge decided to apply the death penalty to both Spencer. The admitted killer and he gives his he gives his testimony as to what he saw. Officers with their guns drawn and all of this.
2: Well, again, when you when the people set the laws, this is a system that's created in favor of them. And the law that they created in this case is when you kill a police officer, it's a capital felony even though Woods was not guilty of this crime, which is unfair. The European system says that he was associated, so they're going to commit the death penalty on him, and as you stated, the law is unfair because they create a law that says a police officer's life is is more valuable than a child's life.
0: Yeah, which is also, uh... Given credence by the vote of many of our black elected officials, you know, which offer police protection. I'm speaking specifically of the Congressional Black Caucus. If we can take off on that. Uh, the thing I'm struck by, I uh, hear your brothers talk, is you know, a lot of brothers in the street, illegitimate capitalists. They've been referred to as. They were quick to. They are always quick to tell you, "I have my rights," you know. But then your rights are what the judge say they are clearly or you know, as a rebuttal to uh, the miscarriage or the disparity in terms of justice, you always get to rejoin the all lives matter, you know, which is I guess a smokescreen or an alibi, an excuse whatever you want to call it, for looking at uh, the historical injustices that have been meted out against Africans.
2: Well it's, it's, it's the argument that I always tell people, when you are the minority and someone else is the majority, they have the power and you don't have the power. In particular, in this American system. Think about this, not only little girls, now I'm not emotionally attached to you know, the American system, the military, the police, or anything like that. But they value a police officer's life more than they value someone in the military's life. If you kill somebody in the military, The capital felony law does not exist for that. So you can have somebody who has just come back from war and they just came back from killing people in a foreign country and then they come home and get killed by somebody here. That person may not get the death penalty for that murder the same way that they would if that person killed a police officer on duty here. So it is a law set up to protect these police officers, and these police police officers are given more than the benefit of the doubt any time they kill somebody. They can just put it in a report that they fear for their life or that the person tried to attack them and it, the, the killing is justified. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that we have to think about when we talk about complete and total change in reorganizing and gaining power because you can become successful in a society like this. You can be very wealthy, you can become a capitalist person, and you can have a lot of riches. But until you have power, these are the type of laws that are still going to negatively affect you even with the you know the crumbs that you're getting off of the master's table in this society.
0: Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I, I can remember, uh, brother, you talking about a gentleman who was, by Western standards, successful, the governor of the state of Virginia, being accosted by his own troopers, a gentleman named Douglas Wilder, years ago. Mm. And the cops didn't realize what they had done until he produced identification. You know, so. Uh, you know, they most time, well, all the times they're doing their jobs around these black colonial enclaves. As the Panthers used to refer to these colonies, as as to contain and to intimidate. You know, versus to serve and protect. You know, there have been people throughout the eastern seaboard as well as on the west coast who conceptualized the idea of. A community control of the police, but, you know, good luck with that. Well, do you ever notice that um,
2: most people who join the police force probably, most likely, wouldn't join the military because then they would be in a
1: situation where they would actually be shooting at people
2: who would be shooting back.
1: But, you know, the thing, you know, I, I was, in thinking about these, these officers, I think, I think there are instances where the arrogance and the invincibility of white supremacy puts them, they put themselves in positions where something like that might happen because, I mean, they, they, they ran, you know, they would, they, they, they went and got a, a warrant. Well, first of all, they had a confrontation early in the day with uh, Woods and Spencer Uh, this one particular officer, they called him curly. And apparently this had been an ongoing thing. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, (laughs) you know, we've seen, we've seen Serpico and other things. We, these guys might've been on, might've been on the payroll. Who knows? Uh, wanted more money because they didn't go in there with a warrant, uh, to, uh, to bust them for selling drugs. And if they were making $3,000 a week, I think they said, they had to have a lot of traffic in and out. But um, they had had a confrontation that morning, and Woods had apparently told Curly to take his badge off. I'll fight you man to man. And Curly took his badge off. And uh, uh, a woman that was in the neighborhood came up to him and got him, and, and the officer pulled him away. So then they started checking and found out that uh they had a they had a warrant for a, a misdemeanor in another city for Woods. So they got the warrant and went back to the house to serve the warrant. And when and Woods was sitting on the back porch with a woman, and when they rolled up, he ran he ran into the house. So to me, they were running into a situation where there was, there was already, you know, hostility, and they ran in there with, like, naked aggression. They put themselves in harm's way, and according to Spencer, he came out with his, uh, you know, AK-47SK-9, already ready to shoot. One of the officers tried to, you know, do a quick draw, and he, he got him. So... I mean, when one guy takes down three police officers and then wounds another one, you know, you you, you you have to wonder about their training, about their mindset. And sometimes I think the arrogance of white supremacy, they cause their own deaths by the arrogance of white supremacy, you know, rather than like, okay, look, I'm like this. If I, Let's say I'm working with H. Rap Brown's anti-dope campaign. And we're gonna take a we gonna take some drug people out. We going there expecting to have a confrontation. You going there expecting that? So you think you can just run up in somebody's house? Maybe they never heard about Larry Davis. Probably didn't. <laughs> so anyway, that's enough. That's I mean that's enough of that. The fact the fact of the matter is that. This is the way the law is constructed. You got a got a man who essentially didn't commit a crime, not a capital crime, executed, and you got a man that killed four black girls, and he'll be coming up for parole, you know, unless he happens to uh, meet his maker before then.
2: Well, I think it always it always boils down to that. It always boils down to the law. Who creates the law? the minds of the people who actually come up with the laws and how the laws benefit them and negatively affect us. Just like, you know, at one point, slavery was legal. That was a law that was created by them that benefited them. And once they decided to change the law, then that's when slavery became illegal. But when you don't have the power to change the laws, then you're going to always be in this position. And, And these are the things we have to discuss. How do we authentically get out of this position and become empowered so that we can enact our own laws. Right now in Ghana, they have laws that criminalize homosexuality. Here we have to fight it. We have to fight it here because black people and Europeans are decriminalizing and creating more rights uh for homosexuals and transgenders. So Right now, they're trying to prevent a conference, LGBT conference, um, from South Africa coming to Ghana. And what they can do to prevent that is they can say, it's against the law here. Well, see, you have the power to make your own laws, then you can better, you can be in a better position to deal with issues that confront you. And right now, in this system, we have to depend on somebody else, it's almost like a parent-child situation where you inside, you inside of your parents' house, they make the laws, they make the rules. What your parents to say, as long as you're up under my roof, you gonna abide by my rules. That's how black people are in America. Mm-hmm. We under the Europeans' rules, and unfortunately, we get affected by the laws and the rules that they create.
0: Yeah, that's what Wally told us. You know, anytime you're living on another man's flag and on another man's leg, you're subjected to his jurisdiction. And as you alluded to, you know, the problem is either to identify but then you know, what are the solutions? You know, one thing that comes to mind is repatriation. You know, perhaps there's some other alternatives that uh, we can consider. The reality, as we sit here in sixty-two, sixty or twenty, twenty is the fact that you know police are becoming more militarized. Uh, there's legislation in place. Um, they have the ability to suspend the right of habeas corpus. Uh, they can detain you in indeterminately. We've had uh, instances of that. Black freedom fighters, political prisoners, been there, as we've discussed here, in uh, greater confinement for an excess of 40, 50 years, you know, it's definitely something that uh, we need to think about. Few people know about the political prisoners. You know, uh, you know, what can we do under this current political crisis? that did not necessarily start with Donald Trump. You know, that will you know exceed his presidency or his life. You know, suffice it to say uh, uh welcome to the terror dome. Uh, you yeah, know, America's the fourth right.
2: Well, I think one of the first things that you can do is for all of the people that have a black agenda if these candidates like Biden, Bernie Sanders, Trump, or whoever are not focusing on a black agenda, then you need to organize, and this is, everything I'm saying is for the people that believe in success here in America. Me, personally, I don't. But for the people that do, if you wanna participate in this political system, you need to have your agenda get organized, organize a block of black people and say if, if you're not gonna support our agenda, then sometimes you have to pull out to show how much how much of an influence you really have. So just say, black people say, you know what, if none of these candidates are gonna support our agenda, then we're gonna not even participate in this next election.
0: And of course everybody sitting here in this studio recognize what Part of the problem is we have maintained an alignment with the uh, the Democratic Party as a result of the black misleadership class, as Brother Ford (coughs) often articulates, he coined the phrase, Brother Clyde down in South Carolina has made over one million dollars.
2: And that's the point that I'm making, I mean, if you, if you continuously just continue to go out and vote, then they know we can depend on, we don't even have to do anything, we can we know these people vote isn't gonna be there. So mm-hmm. pull out, don't vote, and then the next four years they'll see the impact that it had on the election, and then you come back with your agenda again mm-hmm. and see if they'll take your agenda more seriously to actually try to get your vote. You
0: said the key word, brother, organization. Dr. Teray Carmichael is the weapon of the oppressed. We are a poorly organized people.
1: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> in, in, in American politics, uh, constituents are supposed to be rewarded for their support, but the African-American body politic never gets rewarded because its vote can be taken for granted, like Brother Almond says. But 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 the, the problem is, in my opinion, you know, this is what has happened as a result of the the power structure, the white power structure of this country, beginning with the Kennedy brothers and then followed by Lyndon Johnson, wanted to shift leadership in the black community away from activists like Dr. King, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, and others, Fannie Lou Hamer. Ella Joe Baker, they wanted to shift the leadership from activists to politicians because they knew that once they got these guys into the system, that they would be able to control them. So what they envisioned was a system of neocolonialism within the United States, within the black community, working the same way neocolonialism works in Africa. You know, we'll replace uh, white uh, faces with black faces, but nothing else will change. Mm-hmm. These people will be holding office without holding power except for their ability to uh, aggrandize and uh, enrich themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have so many people that have become wealthy while serving in Congress for 20, 30, 40 years. Millionaires, <coughs> But But the thing of it is, is that, what we, what we have forgotten is that something that Amos Wilson told us, black people didn't vote to get the right to vote. The most important aspect, the most critical aspect of American politics is not voting. Mm-hmm. It's the capacity to influence public policy. The black movement of the mid-60s influenced public policy when there were only six black people in the U.S. Congress and more Republicans than Democrats voted for both the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act based on percentages because the Democrat Party in the South at that time were Dixiecrats. Strom Thurmond, John Stennis, James Eastland, Tricky Dicky Russell and all of the rest of them, okay? So we have gotten away from the activism that that gives us the capacity to influence public policy and that's why politics does not work. It has not been effective mm-hmm. for us for that very reason. Politics is a, is based on transactions. And so basically you got a black politician, and a white politician, and they say, uh, you feed my dog, I'll feed yours. And the white politician's dog is a pit bull, and the black politician's dog is a poodle. Both dogs are being fed. Obviously, one is consuming a lot more, you know, via Wall Street, the military industrial complex, the insurance industry, all these other industries, all of these subsidies that, that go to uh, commercial farms and all these kinds of things, right? So, we don't influence public policy. Mm-hmm. We don't influence public policy. And, and what happens is every, every two years, in particular, every four years, you have this massive amount of money poured into our community to get our people to vote. And our people go out and line up like toy soldiers and vote for the, whoever the Democrat is every time. And then the money goes away because all they want is your vote. They do not want a an active African-American body politic that's looking at everything these politicians that people vote for are doing. They would be very surprised. Uh, Brother Sweeney alluded to it earlier, back in uh, 2014 when Eric Garner and Michael Brown were killed. A white congressman from uh, Florida proposed a bill to stop the militarization of the police. What was happening is this, the United States creates, they have a a surplus of military equipment because the, the 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 American welfare state feeds the military industrial complex, so they're constantly in the process of producing new and more improved weapons, guns that can shoot around buildings, for example. Okay, so so when so they have this surplus of equipment, so somebody came up with the idea that they created what they call the 1033 program, where uh, the United States government is able to give this surplus equipment to the police, and this is what you saw on the streets of Ferguson: armored personnel carriers and all these types of things, rocket-propelled grenades. You know, all kinds of uh, all kinds of weapons that the military gets from the police. So there was this uh, congressman from Florida. He said, "We don't need. To, we need to stop this. We don't need a militarized police in the United States." And Black Agenda Report uh, went looked at uh, how the members of the Congressional Black Caucus voted. And 27 members of the Congressional Black Caucus voted against demilitarizing the police. But because the black community has been so, like, uh, drugged by, you know, this, the concept of politics, electoral politics, These politicians like walk on water. The average black person doesn't even know what these people are voting for. You don't know that they're voting for war. The iconic John Lewis voted to fund Obama's war on Libya. Cynthia McKinney and Baba Mikasa and some others, uh, I think Bruce Dixon went down and protested in front of John Lewis's office in Atlanta and say, how can you vote for war? They called him out. But the average person who votes has no idea what these policies, I'm talking about, you don't have to go to the Congress, you don't even know what your your city council people and county commissioners and school board people are voting for. You're totally detached from it because all they want you to do is come to the polls and vote and then go quietly away. Mm -hmm. Go back and sit in your home, go to your jobs, or do whatever. And then the next two years or the next four years, we're going to come. Come on now, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. And so, I mean, that's why Malcolm said in 1964 you're political chumps. And
2: on top of that, no one can name one single thing in the last 300 years mm. that whites have done for black people that have only benefited black people and not also benefiting themselves. So even when you go when you go back to 1865, all right, when slavery ended, according to chattel slavery, we know we still you know you still have the prison industrial complex, but that was still done in a benefit to the whites in the North. If you go back to The Civil Rights Act and what people call the beginning of quote-unquote integration, that still benefited white people, benefited white business owners. It benefited uh, a lot of the small hats who run the markets, who utilize black talent to integrate with them. It benefited whites by destroying black businesses. Affirmative action benefited white people by being able to take the talents of black people and use them in their corporations. So nothing has been done for black people in this society that has only been a benefit to black people. Okay? When you look at people like the um, LGBTQ or Native Americans or who have you, some of the things that have been done for them has been a primary benefit just for them. Our situation is always linked to how the European-American can benefit from it at the same time, which is one of the primary reasons why reparations have never, have never been paid out. Because some people would say, well, well, black people would take that money and put it back into the economy, but it still would be Europeans having
0: to pay out of their own money to black people, and Europeans would benefit, brother. You know, I met a white woman the other day who was telling me about her African ancestry, but she has lived her whole life as a white woman. Right, so they be flame. coming out of the, they'd be coming out of the Woodworks, man. <laughs> yeah, it reminded yeah. of something uh, I heard over Reverend Jackson say. Uh, no, actually, I read it in an article um, he was talking about. Uh, uh, being somewhat disgusted with the Democratic Party because basically all they wanted him to do was to register voters. But when it came to sitting at the table and constructing policy, you know, they didn't—they really didn't want his services. You know, in other words, you go out and catch the slaves, you be the super masculine menial, you know, and we'll be the omnipotent administrators, you know, to uh, quote, ill rage. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and Jackson hasn't hasn't pulled out of the Democrat party yet. Yeah. I want to talk about this case, uh, the situation happened up in Detroit. Um, another case where where the, the the system, the so-called system just totally fails the black community. Uh there's a career criminal by the name of Kenyell Brown and what we posted on our page A career criminal killed six black people after being released by a federal judge and becoming a Detroit police DEA informant. Kenyell Brown eventually died after shooting himself during a police chase. The families of the victims have serious questions for the police while the police and the feds are pointing fingers at everyone but themselves. So basically, uh, you had this guy, uh, Kenyell Brown, Brown had been previously convicted on several different charges, including manslaughter and possession of a stolen handgun. AP also reports that Brown was arrested at least twice last year and violated the terms of his probation multiple times while under federal supervision. Brown violated his probation at least seven times and in 2015 was arrested for possessing a loaded pistol as a felon. It That was his third weapons charge. He also had a history of uh, selling drugs and assault. U.S. District Judge Bernard Friedman, I had and I had to look this guy up, he was appointed by Ronald Reagan, was charged with sentencing Brown, but released him at the request of a federal law enforcement agency. Now, this mysterious federal law enforcement agency has not come forward. In fact, they're denying that they requested this. They're trying to put it back on the judge. But the... Uh, But the the media is reporting that a law enforcement agency requested that this guy be released for unknown reasons, Uh, according to the Detroit Free Press. Friedman reportedly did not mention the agency request in court, and instead he said he was giving Brown a break. Since when? He said, I know you have an alcohol problem, and I know there's some other things going on in your life, which I appreciate. And it's the right thing to do. As a result of that, I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to discharge you from probation, not give you any other time. Now, remember all the crimes that this guy has been committed of, had been you know convicted of. I think hopefully you will stay out of trouble, and I think you're doing some of the, and some right things, and I appreciate that. And I think you're entitled for a break for that. Well, the break apparently was the fact was that was that some agency some law enforcement agency wanted this guy out of prison to be an informant. The guy promptly got out of prison and proceeded to kill six black people. Now this this is a country, this is a country that has people serving life without parole for committing nonviolent crimes. Life without parole for committing nonviolent crimes and here this career criminal with, with manslaughter is released. And the, and the Detroit police, they, 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 must, they must think people are dumb as bricks. The Detroit police chief said, "He, you know, everybody's deflecting, rationalizing. When we vetted Mr. Brown, we didn't know about his violations. Vetted him. Are you telling me you can't? You don't have the capability to do a background check and find out that this guy has I, I a... I bet I can look
0: at him, brother, and sense that he's crazy.
1: <laughs> look, man, look, you got six, six innocent black people killed by this guy, right? You got one sister and uh, three brothers, one of whom was a uh, very elderly, They released him back onto the streets. You got people serving life without parole for a a marijuana conviction. So heads need to roll. Federal heads and local heads need to roll. But as almost said, it won't happen because this is the way the system is designed. This guy went out and became a serial killer while being a police and federal informant. This is what this is this is what, what we're dealing with and people say, well, you know, you got a black police chief. <laughs> you know? So I mean, it 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 just goes to show. Look, there has to be, if you think that this system Malcolm said it best, it's impossible for a chicken to produce a duck egg. This system cannot, as a constructor, cannot produce any type of justice. For black people, because first of all, the, you will, you cannot have any peace and justice without power. Power is the final arbiter. That's the only that's the only way you can have any level of peace and justice. Because you know, doc, as Dr. King said, uh, "Peace is not merely the absence of tension. True peace is the presence of justice." But the presence of justice requires power. It is not going to happen. As this system is presently constructed. Yes, sir. Yeah.
0: Power, power, power. You know, Doc said a lot of things. (laughs) You know, few people could rap like Doc. You know, Um, as it relates to power and many other issues, um, you know, uh, I believe what power without mercy is callous, mercy without power I think is weak, unable. Um the confluence or the combination of synthesis between uh, love and power is the capacity to produce justice, yeah, that's what he said as I think back, love without power is weak, feeble, anemic, power without love is callous, you need the combination. The confluence of both concepts to produce justice, which is the principle of fair dealing. I, mean,
1: uh, I don't know who you're gonna love, though. I mean, <laughs> I, I you know I understand where he's coming. He, he's really coming from the perspective of of, of morality, but you know this what this is what Kwame Ture said. I mean, <laughs> you keep expecting something that doesn't exist to y- suddenly yeah. to suddenly exist. But I, 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 guess, I wondered, guess
0: we're talking about love of ourselves. Lo- okay, love of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, can, we can. I mean, we. yeah, out of that context, I understand clearly what you said, brother. Yeah. Yeah, I understand clearly what you're saying. You know, about, you know to go back to what Dr. Wilson says, uh self respect has just about been totally destroyed to the point where, you know, we are indifferent to our own suffering in many instances, be it our children being killed. In fact, we have internalized the inferiority of our own children in too many instances. Right. You know, kids being shipped from foster home to foster home, like from one plantation to the other. Mm. Good point, brother.
1: Yeah, brother, I almost wanted to hit on the corona. Okay. Okay. Yeah, just to be brief,
2: um, with the rising threat of coronavirus and how it's spreading around the world, you know, just some simple basic things that you can do to be prepared for yourself. Um, you know, make sure that you, like always, stock up on food and water. You never know how people are going to panic in America because people here are not used to these type of pandemics taking place on American soil. So, you know, stock up on some food and the different other things that you can stock up on, like vitamin C, you know, echinacea. Um, There's certain herbs you can use that are good for lungs, which is one of the things that coronavirus, it affects your breathing. So things like eucalyptus and oregano, um, different things like that, that you can use to take care of yourself, because you never know how they, the public health care system is going to respond to helping black people.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think the main thing, what you're saying is that, that you, re- you really need to enhance your immune system. I think that's what you—that's what—that's what you're really saying.
2: Yeah, I mean that's primarily like at this point, everybody should be, you know, taking care of themselves and eating properly, drinking water, doing the things that you can do to keep your immune system up. Taking vitamins, um, you know, the, just the basic things that you can do to keep your immune system up because that's what's going to help you or prevent you from being really affected by the spread of this this uh, this uh, virus. And, you know, we know overall Europeans are not a very clean people, so we can easily see how this virus can spread rapidly here. And we also Any have to be
1: very careful, right, about touching surfaces. Touching surfaces. With our hands and then, you know, rubbing our noses or our eyes or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah,
2: get you some hand sanitizer and carry it with you. Yeah, you you know, you, wash your hands and things like that.
1: Yeah, you know, use... Use your coat, or use something. You know, when you when you come to a door handle or something, have something. uh, You know, shopping carts. I mean, have some gloves on to do something to, because you you touch a surface that someone has deposited the uh, virus on a surface, and uh, you know it can live on various surfaces for you know a period of time. And then, boom, next thing you know, you've rubbed your eyes, you rubbed your nose or whatever, and then the virus is in your system just like from your hands, right, to a, a entry point, uh, your eyes, your nose or whatever, and then, boom, it's in. So touching surfaces, touching surfaces is really, really, really um, one of the key ways that it happens, you know, unless you just happen to be in, in the vicinity of somebody who sneezes and doesn't cover their mouth, and then you got... All yeah, the,
2: the, you know it's a sector of our people who are, are um, heavily on the conspiracy side and, and think that a lot of things are a hoax. <laughs> but it's better to be prepared than to find yourself in a position where you are not prepared. So these are ba- and these are basic things to do even if coronavirus didn't exist. Yeah, yeah, you but... Know,
0: but well, what you're talking about, brother, I certainly didn't mean to cut you off. Is uh, you know, Doctor Wilson again? You know, he talked about you know what is the capacity, you know, hypothetically, you know, what are the possibilities, the potentialities, once we find out that a thing is in existence, you know, and that's when the preparation should take place. Mm-hmm. You know, at the point of entry, oftentimes, you know, we try to deal with problems in the second and third link in a chain of events. This is Wilson talking.
2: We wait. We, 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 we wait react. and
0: oftentimes being overwhelmed mm-hmm. by events and circumstances.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, we can point to Katrina and show how that happened. Uh, so definitely just be prepared. Um, closing out, um, I want to say that In Kemet, they've been restoring the Pyramid of Zoza. It's been a 14 year process and they just announced that they have unveiled the newly restored Step Pyramid. For those of you who are not familiar with who Zoza is, Zoza was the Nisu or the king of the third dynasty who commissioned Imhotep to build the world's first pyramid, the Step Pyramid. Uh, The first pyramid not only in our valley but um, the First Pyramid, built in stone anywhere in the world. And so this restoration is supposed to help the infrastructure of the pyramid, which they say will collapse. And Some uh, engineers believe that this restoration may actually hurt the structure of the pyramid over time because of the materials that they use in doing it. But in reading that, I came across another article, and this is on African News, and it's written by an African. He's talking about the top 10 most visited cities and places on the continent. And in this top 10, he has uh, Morocco being number one and then Zanzibar being number two. And the list goes on and on of different cities throughout Africa. Nowhere in the list is Cairo or is Egypt. Wow which we know that Egypt is one of the most visited places in the world. Exactly. So still, there's a mentality that Egypt does not exist on the African continent. Even amongst our own people who live on the continent and produce these news articles, there's still that mindset that we have to get over that, that uh, Egypt is not African. And when you look at the picture.
1: But Morocco is.
2: Right, <laughs> when you look at the picture of
1: <laughs> same people,
2: them unveiling this this step pyramid, in front of this pyramid is nothing but Arabs, no Africans. So we can see how far we have fell from our original ability to be able to. We were the, we were the ones who actually our ancestors actually built the structure, but now it's it's ran and controlled by people who don't look like us. And and they are in the process of, you know, restoring it, rebuilding it, and also taking credit for it. So that's another thing that we have to be aware of when it comes to power. Power is the ability to control yourself, self-control, and not allowing other people to control your destiny. This has been the African Liberation Media Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.
3: bb 48 BB4008. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. <laughs> if your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die, feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.